We have a unique platform to impact the future of the game. How did every step of this go? Were you treated to a fun and enjoyable experience? Were you greeted with a smile? Uh, and that's been a great tool for our organization to set the culture, recognize when we have staff members who go above and beyond. It all comes back to the one common purpose, which is treat each guest to a fun and enjoyable experience. So we are often the launch point for people who are picking up the game for the first time, whether it's a junior going to a camp or whether it's that person who just picked up a golf club at Top Golf and says, where can I go play? We've always recognized that we hold a critical role in growing the game just by virtue of the type of facilities that we manage. So it's always been a cultural element of Billy Casper Golf that goes back to Billy Casper himself as well through his charity work with Billy's kids. We all hear the news that more golf courses are closing than opening. Participation has been stagnant after a period of, of contraction. And frankly, the golf business is dynamic. And to be fair, some of the things that we're doing to grow the game can get lost if you don't make them a priority. Welcome to the Mod Golf Podcast, where we speak with the influencers, disruptors, entrepreneurs, and innovators who are shaping the future of golf. If you're a regular listener, welcome back. If you're new to the Mod Golf Podcast, thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Colin Weston, and today my guest is Nick Bednar, VP of Operations with Billy Casper Golf. Nick has been in the golf business for over 18 years, spending the last of those 16 years with golf course management leader, Billy Casper Golf. In his current position, Nick oversees the management and operations of Billy Casper Golf's portfolio in Ohio, Michigan, Indiana, Kentucky, and West Virginia. And he's also passionately working with the Billy Casper Golf Futures Program, which we're going to hear a lot about today. So Nick, hey, thanks for joining me today and welcome to the Mod Golf Podcast. Hey, Colin. Thanks for the invite. Look forward to talking some golf. Absolutely. So you and I have scheduled, what, this three times, maybe four times. I've had to cancel a couple of times, which I feel terrible about, and I apologize for that. But we finally made this happen here today. So I'm really happy to have you on. And we have this extra layer, of course, and we're going to talk a bit about this and how it impacts you as a professional and the business overall is the COVID-19 pandemic, which we will get your insights on that. Because I know that's probably a conversation that is consuming your everyday right now. Is that fair to say, Nick? Uh, no question about it. It's consuming everybody's day-to-day, that's fair to say. But thoughts go out to everybody impacted by the COVID-19 crisis. It's wide-ranging, obviously has an impact on many, many industries, and just thankful for all of our health professionals and those who are on the front lines. But yeah, it's it's definitely been an interesting few weeks, to say the least. Yeah, so I certainly want to hear how the golf industry as a whole and Billy Casper Golf specifically of how you are managing to, whether it's pivot your business model a bit or even new best practices, I guess you can say, as far as what you do in order to balance the scales of social distancing. So we'll get in that in a few minutes. But what I want to start with here, because really with the podcast, one of the things I, I found, during, especially during these times where people are at home and they need some uplifting experiences and everybody is golf craved out there, the majority of people that listen to the Mod Golf podcast, is we want to talk about inspirational or positive elements too. So we want to start with that. So, hey, Nick, can you tell us about your very first golf experience, whatever age that was? What got you into the game before it even got you into the industry? Sure, Colin. Well, golf's been a part of my life almost as long as I can remember. For me, it started, I'm from Springfield, Ohio, small town just outside of Dayton, between Dayton and Columbus. And for me, it was it was really a family affair from the start. I, I remember pretty vividly the first golf club that I ever held in my hand. I remember that my brother had brought it back from me after he had gone golfing with my parents, my older brother. He had said he'd found a, a club on the golf course 
I didn't realize this at the time, but he had found a club that somebody had had likely either broken over their knee or up against a tree, but uh, essentially a seven iron that had been broken in half somehow, some way. So I benefited from somebody's poor shot or, or anger or whatever it may be. But my brother thought enough to give it to me. Obviously, it, had, it was a little bit too small for him at that point. So my parents, God bless them, they, they decided to wrap the seven iron in some electrical tape for a grip. My dad assured me at a later time that it was golf pride, electrical tape, but uh, just, <laughs> just trying to be safe and not put me in a position where I might injure my hand or whatnot. But I do remember first thing, taking that golf club out into our backyard and making some swings with it and hitting some golf balls down the field. And Colin, literally, I think a few weeks later, I, I took that same seven iron and went golfing with my parents for the first time and my brother and was able to use a seven iron. I had gotten a putter as well to go along with it. I'm sure I was hitting it from 50 yards off the green and whatnot, but from the perspective of a five or six-year-old, I was playing the big course for the first time. And it could explain why I've I've gotten better at chipping with a seven iron from off the green or even putting from off the green, because that was uh, that was pretty much how I played golf for the first year of my life. So it's kind of funny. I, I told this story just recently at a company gathering and, and just trying to remember our first time when we got hooked on golf. And I can clearly remember one of the first times I played golf sitting on a putting green. And I, I must have looked like a complete fool coming up with a cutoff seven iron with electrical tape and a putter, no bag, no get up with any shoes or anything like that. But I remember the golf pro at the local golf course was out on the putting green as well. And instead of giving me a sideways look, he came straight over and he taught me how to grip that putter and how to use the line on the putter to line up a shot. And sure enough, I made a putt probably felt like it was 60 feet. It probably was about three feet. Uh, Just that feeling of somebody helping and welcoming me to the golf course was something I never forgot. And uh, certainly has had an influence on, on my life as well. So yeah, for me, Colin, it was, uh, it was a family affair. Golfed with my grandparents, my parents, my siblings, my aunts and uncles, and really forged my relationship with them through the game and learned how to play from them. Played all the way through high school competitively. Got away from it a little bit in college, but then decided I I wanted to get into sports as a career and was able to teach golf for Florida State University when I was in school down there as a graduate student. That really got me hooked into back into the game and made me decide to pursue this as a career. I love that story. It's so interesting, just those moments, those inflection points that could have gone either way. If that coach would have come up to you and shamed you or made you feel bad about having that club, come back when you got some real golf clubs and he shoes you off the course, you may have never played golf after that. That would have been it. You would have found something else. It would have been such a negative experience. But the fact that welcoming, warm, inviting, and helpful position that an individual took made all that difference to get you where you are now, or at least start you on that journey. So I I love those stories where we talk about those touch points with other people that make such a difference all along the way. So without that, who knows? We may not even be having this conversation. Very, very true. It's something I've kept near and dear to my heart, not just in the golf business, but just how you treat people. There's a first time for everything, right? And how we feel is what we remember. I'm forever indebted to the golf pro who helped me back there in, I guess, 1985 or so. Yeah, absolutely. I have a feeling when we talk about the Billy Casper Golf Futures program, there's elements of that welcoming and inviting and encouraging element to that. We're going to hold off on that for a second because I do want our listeners, if they don't know already, can you just give us the elevator pitch or the overall vision and a bit of a backstory to Billy Casper Golf? 
Yeah, absolutely. So Billy Casper Golf has been around 31 years. We were founded back in 1989. Peter Hill and Bob Morris are co-founders. So they started the business back then with just a, really a few businesses on the East Coast, and it's grown over the past 30 years to the largest domestic public golf course operator in the United States. We operate 151 facilities currently nationwide. I am the VP of Operation for the Central Region, which is consists of 19 golf courses. And our model is, Colin, it's a centralized model where offices are based out of Ruston, Virginia, but we have people like myself scattered throughout the country who oversee a pocket of golf courses and interact with owners and clients, as well as the on-site field teams to, to run their businesses, while we're performing many of the behind-the-scenes functions that normally a, a standalone golf course might have to handle themselves, such as payroll, accounts payable, counting, IT, marketing, et cetera, is all done from our, our centralized platform in Western Virginia. I remember starting with the company back in 2004, and we had 40 facilities at the time. So we've had a, a pretty steady growth pattern over the past 16 years that I've been with the company and continuing onward, helping owners achieve their full potential. We are also owners and, and operators of golf courses that we lease and own as well. So it sounds like having that centralized hub allows you to not only automate, but also to become very, very efficient with a lot of the operational side of the business. On the customer-facing side, what would you say is your secret sauce or your differentiator that you provide, whether it's on that customer experience side or perhaps you can elaborate on that? What do you consider the defining elements that encapsulate what a Billy Casper golf course experience is like? And that's an important point you make that some of the behind the scenes things that maybe aren't as productive or as interesting, like cutting checks and whatnot, that's something we take off of our managers and our pros so that they can focus on the customer first and foremost and, and do the things that are going to be most impactful for the golf course in their community. Colin, I'm a huge believer in culture, you know, setting the tone for an entire business uh, as well as the golf business in general. If I had to boil it down to one thing, it would be our ACE, the customer experience program. ACE is something that we instituted about 10 years ago and was based on experiences that we'd had over the first 20 years of operating a business, but also taking it to the next level of providing a formalized training program for our people. So Colin, if you're hired into Billy Casper Golf, on day one, you will get formalized training that sets the tone and sets the culture for delivering fun and enjoyable golf experiences for all of our guests. And that's the same whether you're a grounds crew person or the general manager or bartender. That really was important in us establishing what was already part of our culture, but making it a formal piece where our facility managers have a tool to show what the expectation is and provide some actual touch point training, role playing, et cetera, that's going to prepare them for their job. And if you just boil it down to that, then everybody within Billy Casper Golf knows what the expectation is. It's to provide a, a fun and enjoyable experience for our guests to go above and beyond what the expectations are. And that's it, really. I, I think ACE to customer experience is what sets us apart. You said that was over 10 years ago that you formalized that onboarding for all of your existing and new staff members. And at that time, customer experience was something that wasn't really talked about. So you were quite ahead of the curve on that. Everybody talks about that now. Some still don't do it, but it is more common now for people to realize the value of that customer experience and that customer-centric focus. 
So the fact you've already embedded that so deeply into your culture there, and it sounds like you're very consistent doing that and very authentic of doing that is amazing. And I, even a couple of months ago, I was at a privately owned golf course that I won't name, but I went there and it was like this old school thing where I walk in to pay my greens fee and the guy behind the desk, it was as if I was inconveniencing him to be there. He wouldn't even look me in the eye. It's dismissing me. It's like, I'm ready to drop a hundred bucks here for a round of golf and then probably spend another hundred having dinner afterwards. And that first experience, that first touch point, you're doing that. It was was almost like I was inconveniencing him by being there to spend eight hours of my day at their facility. And it's amazing to me that some golf courses still don't train their staff properly or weed out the ones that still do that. Because (laughs) as you know, it's a hard business to get it right. And it sounds like you're doing all the right things though with Billy Casper Golf. Yeah, it sounds oversimplified to say you just want to treat people well, right? And welcome them and say thank you. But it's hard work. You have to recruit and retain really good people who love to serve others and who love to provide those experiences. You have to train them and you have to, to measure it too. So it's it's easier in today's world than ever because you, you instantly get feedback, whether it's on Facebook or on Yelp or, or whatnot. People are going to tell you how they feel uh, about the experience and it's in real time. We get that and we obviously respond to that. We also do mystery shops where we have people come in and and test how well we're doing from a point where they make the phone reservation or online reservation to the time they leave the parking lot. How did every step of this go? Were you treated to a fun and enjoyable experience? Were you greeted with a smile? Uh, And that's been a great tool for our organization. Just again, to set the culture, recognize when we have staff members who go above and beyond. It all comes back to the one common purpose, which is treat each guest to a fun and enjoyable experience. Nice, nice. I want to bounce around a little bit here. About six months ago on the podcast, I had a gentleman on from the USGA as an agronomist who was focusing on the Tee It Forward program and all the data that they had of how far the average recreational golfer, both men and women at different ages and swing speeds, hit the ball. That golf courses are way too long and for men, especially to park that ego and move up to a closer tee and make it more enjoyable and play a course more at, let's say, 5,200 yards rather than 6,700 yards. And then just finding that people can play longer, it's more enjoyable because it is about having fun. I just want to bounce that off you. What are you finding, not only with the golf courses that you manage directly, but overall with Billy Casper Golf? Are you trying and experimenting and being more innovative or entrepreneurial to try different things, to kind of see what would work and resonate with that mix to make the on-course experience more enjoyable, where at the same time, using that to be able to cut down your operations costs? Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting to look at how golf courses were built 100 years ago. And we run some golf courses that were. And we run some golf courses that were built just 10, 15 years ago uh, that may be a little bit more challenging. Colin, I think there's a place for all of it. The trend is going to be golf courses that are likely either shortened up or tee boxes that are going to make the game a little bit more simplified. Let's face it, you know, nobody wants to make less pars and birdies. Yeah. Um, can tell you that when I play with friends, we typically err on the side of going up a tee simply for that fact that you know, we want everybody to, to have a great time. I don't mind if I make more pars. From an architecture standpoint, in some cases, we're limited by the design of golf courses. With that said, you know we've done some pretty cool things with providing some shorter tees. And I, I think the movement kind of started 10, 15 years ago with the PGA Junior tees and whatnot. But really integrating even some, not just forward tees, but 
fast forward teas that are more appropriate for beginners and people who are at the twilight of their golf career that just can't hit the ball nearly as far as they used to. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think people should be playing the tees in which they have a chance to get on the green in regulation if they hit two good shots and make pars and make birdies as well. So you have to be creative. Uh, in some cases, it's developing new tee boxes, which is a, a capital cost. In other cases, it's let's put some tee boxes at the beginning of the fairway on a flat spot, but we're going to put ball washers there, trash cans, and we're going to have the USGA come out and rate these as well so they don't feel like an afterthought. And I think that's important. No, nobody wants to be embarrassed of the tees that they play. They want to feel like they're playing the course as it was intended. So, you know, you have to be creative. Uh, you have to work with the maintenance crews to understand what's going to be viable on the golf course and really just what's going to provide the best experience and, and encourage it too. You have to be all in in terms of the staff on the maintenance crew, but also the staff who's up front communicating to the guests. Hey, here are your options. And, you know, there's absolutely nothing wrong if you're a beginner golfer or, or a super senior or a junior who may not hit the ball more than 100 yards to play from 150 yards out. And we've got tees for you that do that. That's great to hear. Now, so I understand of the courses that are in your direct portfolio and, and perhaps all the ones that Billy Castro Golf owns and operates. Are they all traditional 18 or 36 hole operation or do you have a mix in some cases as I've played at some of these where it's even 12 holes or you've got six holes that go out and come back in. So if you only have time for six holes or it is a challenging par three experience with two different sets of tee boxes, do you have any type of mix like that even to experiment to kind of see how that would work out catering to, let's say, a slightly different demographic, whether it's younger or older or family-based with less time or just want to get your thoughts on that. Is that something you have tried or looking to try in the future? No question. And you can imagine with 150 facilities, we have a pretty good cross-section of the golf business. We have nine-hole facilities. We have executive facilities. We have par threes. We have 18-hole. We have 36-hole. We have 54-hole. The whole gamut. And even within those 18-hole facilities, you may have a loop that may be four holes or 12 holes, as you, as you mentioned before. And we've run marketing to try to push those as well. My personal belief, Colin, I think 18-hole golf courses have usually, uh, and this is not the case everywhere, but usually have two distinct nines that come back to the clubhouse. Yes. And in my world here in the Midwest, we have kind of a unique situation where, and I'm not sure exactly what the origin of it was. I have some thoughts on how it started, but a lot of people get their golf through leagues and generally nine-hole leagues in the afternoon, Monday through Thursday. Uh, In fact, in some of my courses, nine-hole play outweighs 18-hole play. So it's interesting to see that. And then you go to certain areas of the country, and that type of golf is few and far between. Uh, But I I do think, from a short course perspective, we have a lot of these nine-hole courses built in. It's just a matter of industry professionals embracing the nine-hole round and perhaps getting away from some of the traditional thinking that golf is an 18-hole sport, or even we make more money on 18-hole rounds, so that's what we're going to promote. Well, with time being our most precious commodity, and that being more and more the number one factor as to why people, they don't play golf anymore being time, we need to continue to promote nine whole rounds of golf and also offer, offer opportunities like weekday afternoon leagues or even weekend afternoon leagues to get people out for nine holes. Uh, it's quick. You're in and out in two hours. If you do it right, it's from a, a financial perspective, it's, it's a good business move for golf courses as well. Yeah, absolutely. 
I know a couple years ago, I believe it was either We Are Golf or the USGA or perhaps both of them in, in concert, they had a campaign called Time for Nine that they were promoting. And I believe that nine holes can be used to calculate your, your handicap. Whereas a lot of people would think, oh, I have to have 18 holes. So it's right. really important for me to actually get that round in and card that score. Is that still the case? Your understanding that you can play nine holes and card that for your handicap? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the USGA, I think, ran the, the play nine, post nine campaign of the past few years for the same reason, understanding that nine hole golf is, is something that a lot of our courses can offer. Yeah, absolutely. You can post your nine hole score and it can count toward your handicap. And again, I, I think a trend that we'll continue to see as time goes on and one that makes business sense. Absolutely. And still call it golf where there's always been that stigma. I've said this on the podcast before. I played a lot of basketball and it's, say if I'm just going out to the local playground and playing one-on-one or three-on-three half court for even 20 minutes, I don't come back and make excuses for what it was. I said, we played basketball. I don't have to be playing at an NBA level against LeBron to say, well, that's basketball. It's like, and, and golf has always had that thing. Whereas if you don't play 18 holes, people don't think, well, that's not really playing golf where I'm glad and it takes time and you probably see seen this, change that mindset that it's all golf and it all counts for you as an operator and even myself as a recreational participant, which is great because that just expands the market and the number of people that will get out there and swing a club. Agree 100%. Yeah. So wanted to ask you this also before we get into the futures program, and I do want to get your opinion on the COVID-19 pandemic situation also and how that's affecting golf and your business. But I wanted to ask you this, seeing the success of Top Golf and even some indoor golf experiences, how is Billy Casper Golf either now or looking in the future to capture new revenue and perhaps even unlock new customers that are soon to be customers or refusing golf customers that are not competing with your operations during the day on the actual golf course? Is there anything that you're doing conceptually or philosophically you're open to that in the future to look at new ways to drive revenue and, and get people out there, whether that's combining entertainment and other golf-related experiences. I'd like to hear your thoughts on that as far as that entrepreneurship piece and innovation piece with Billy Casper Golf. Yeah, absolutely. And if I had to identify one area of the last five years that's made the biggest impact on golf, it is the advent of some of the off-course operations like Top Golf and Drive Shack. It really has changed perception of golf and participation levels as well. If you pay attention to how many people are actually playing Top Golf and Drive Shack and some of the off-course entertainment type venues with a golf theme, that number of people is essentially the same number of people who play on golf courses as well. It's on or around 24 million people who go to these venues. So you can't ignore it, first of all, and it's growing. But I think it's great for the game anytime we put a golf club in anybody's hands. And I think that it certainly beats the alternative. So our job is to capture those people who may be experiencing golf for the first time at a top golf or drive shack, whatever it may be, and give them the inspiration that, hey, you know, I can take this out to the green grass facility. I don't need to be intimidated. It's a challenge. It definitely is a challenge because it's a completely different experience. No question. But uh, as far as how we're integrating this in, first off, we have relationships with Top Golf and, and some of the other providers. And I think what's really encouraging in talking with the leadership of these companies is they see the, us as partners, not as competitors. And they know that the more people who play golf at a green grass facility, the better it is for their business and vice versa. 
So there's a symbiotic relationship going on, and I, I think that's very, very encouraging. And as we see these venues continue to add 10%, 20% participation each year, we're only going to be impacted by that more and more. As far as Billy Casper Golf's viewpoint on it, I think the technology piece is, is something that is ever evolving. If anybody went to the PGA show this year, it was just clearly, it was just obvious that simulators are huge right now. There's many, many vendors coming out with just incredible technology that provides a real life experience. And then you have the application of products like Top Tracer, which is the product of Top Golf that can be used at green grass driving ranges as well and provide similar experience that's more entertainment based and game improvement as well. We have all these things uh, within Billy Casper Golf. We have simulators. Uh, we just partnered with a company called Golf Zone, and we have a few locations in the Northeast where we have simulator bays that are also have restaurants and bars attached to them as well. So you have to continue to adapt. I think golf and technology are intertwined, have always been, will always be. It's changing rapidly. So we're definitely part of that movement. We're measuring it. We're trying different things and, and getting into that side of the game while continuing to operate our green grass facilities as well. Got it. Got it. Well, to segue from your comment there of continuing to adapt, let's talk about what yourself, the golf industry, and really all industries have had to adapt to very quickly when you and I are recording this conversation right now, and we'll be publishing this in a couple of days' time. We are into about week three of the COVID-19 crisis really blowing up in North America. So can you share with us what Billy Casper Golf has done? And I'm sure you've had to be very lean and nimble and agile here on a daily basis. So how are you seeing your golf course operations affected? And what plan do you have in place? Which I realize when the time this airs, the plan may completely change. But at this moment in time here, Nick, can you share with us your response to the COVID-19 crisis? Well, Colin, I'll give you my, my personal experience with this too. So I, I do an annual golf trip, as a lot of people do, with some friends. And we went down to Georgia this year about four weeks ago. When we flew down to Georgia, everything seemed to be you know pretty normal. Uh, there was some conversation about coronavirus and some of the measures that were coming on board. And when we flew back five days later, it was a different world. Just in the course of those five days that we were playing, uh, you could definitely see how things were changing at the facility level, at the courses we played. And obviously, I was talking on the phone quite a bit with our teams as well as we were making decisions as far as how we approach that. You have to put safety first. And I think that was our number one concern is, you know, how do we put our staff members in a place where they're safe, number one, and that they're keeping our guests safe as well. So a few of the things, and you mentioned them, a few of them earlier, uh, just precautions to try to go as hands-free as possible in the golf experience. So we've essentially, we've moved over to a prepaid model with our online tee times. If you're not paying online, you can call ahead and make your tee time and prepay either with credit card or gift card as well. So just limiting the staff interaction first and foremost. As far as letting people into the clubhouse, those operations have changed dramatically. Food and beverage has been limited to carry out most places, if not eliminated altogether. On the golf course, there are things that I think everybody's seeing who's playing golf right now, such as, you know, don't take the flag stick out. Some golf courses are putting the cup either an inch above or they're putting a pool noodle or something in the cup to, to make sure that people don't have to reach down into the cup. Golf carts are being sanitized religiously in between rounds. Uh, we've gone to single cart riders for the most part where we are allowing carts. Some places we're walking only. 
Uh, Colin, to be honest with you, it's it's an exercise in really trying to understand what the local and the state health officials in each each state are advocating and uh, understanding how our facility with its unique features, uh, because no two clubhouses are built alike, no two golf courses are built alike, but how can we, number one, put safety first for our staff and our guests, and number two, try to offer some sort of experience that is normal in a certain way that you continue to have that fun experience when you're out on the golf course uh, and that you're out there enjoying nature and getting fresh air and oxygenating and doing a healthy activity while social distancing as well. So we are, as an industry, I think, adapting very, very quickly to the situation. And I also think that when we come out of some of the stay in place mandates that golf is is going to be one of the safest places you can be and and it's because of some of the actions that not just Billy Casper Golf but really the industry at large has taken accountability for and just changed their mode of operations to again keep people safe and, and keep in business so that we have these opportunities for people to get out and be healthy absolutely well thanks for sharing your stance on that as this evolves it's great to hear that a safety first approach, not only for your guests, but especially for all of your staff is paramount within the culture there of Billy Casper Golf, as it should be. So I want to circle back here to your earlier comment, that first golf experience with your seven iron with some electrical tape on it, with you getting a couple of lessons there and tips for putting. So I want to use that as a bridge for you to talk about the Billy Casper Golf Futures Program. And I know that's aligned with the PGA Junior League. So you can tell us a bit about the Futures Program and what you're doing there. Sure. So again, kind of going back to the type of organization that Billy Casper Golf is, uh, we have a unique platform really to impact the future of the game with 100 facilities, but also most of our facilities are public. In fact, 95% of them are open to the public. So we run a high percentage of public facilities, but also municipal facilities as well. So we are often the launch point for people who are picking up the game for the first time, whether it's a junior going to a camp or whether it's that person who just picked up a golf club at Top Golf and says, where can I go play? Well, let's go to the city golf course. Let's go to XYZ golf course because they're open to the public and they're welcoming. So I think that we've always recognized that we hold a critical role in growing the game just by virtue of the type of facilities that we manage. So it's always been a cultural element of Billy Casper Golf. I think that goes back to Billy Casper himself as well through his charity work with Billy's kids as well. So it's always been there. Uh, a few years back, I remember sitting at a corporate meeting and, and talking with a few of my peers and just having the conversation about the future of the game. We all hear the news that more golf courses are closing than opening. Participation has been stagnant after a period of, of contraction. And frankly, the golf business is dynamic and it, it can be very difficult. And to be fair, some of the things that we're doing to grow the game can get lost if you don't make them a priority. So it was then that a group of us decided to just to dedicate ourselves to to the program of BCG Futures, number one, to give an identity to something we were already doing throughout the company. And we had all these fantastic stories uh, that were going on throughout the country, not just in junior golf, but in adult golf, women's golf. So that was the origination of BCG Futures. So it started out with just a few goals. Number one, uh, we needed to measure exactly what we were doing and be able to tell the story. So one of the things we implemented was an annual tracker as far as how many juniors we were having golf our facilities 
and take camps as well. So that's been, I think, very fruitful over the past few years. We had conceptually, so you understand how many junior golfers are coming through Billy Casper Golf. We had over 90,000 junior rounds hosted at our facilities last year. That was up 21% from the prior year. Wow. We had over 20,000 juniors participating in our camps, clinics, and other programs like First Tee that we sponsor at our facilities. And that was up 13% from the prior year. And we raised over $125,000 specifically for junior golf, which was up 30% from the prior year. So you kind of see the pattern there and it's a good pattern. It's the pattern we want, which is more junior golf obviously is good for the future. It's good for our facilities. And I I think measuring, number one, it breeds some accountability and it breeds that collective purpose that we as industry professionals and as one of the larger management companies running public golf courses we are invested in the game's future. And if it's not us, then who is it? You know, who is going to be invested in the future? So that's a big, big piece of it. It also gives us the ability with 150 individual facilities that are all doing different things to share best practices so we can connect facility leaders and instructors and really just get all of the best programs together. And you, as a facility operator, you know that you're participating in BCG Futures like every single one of our facilities does in some way, somehow. But trying to pick the programming that makes sense for your facility and impacts your community in the best way. Got it. So with the Futures program, it sounds like you're really making golf welcoming and inviting for a younger audience, which is the social impact of that. It's the right thing to do, but also it's good for business and ensuring your future and your, and your business model. Part of that sustainability piece that we talk about, sustainability isn't just environmental sustainability, it is also social sustainability. So it sounds like the Futures program ties in very nicely with that element. And on that note, I wanted to ask you about some other ways to grow the game too. So yeah, you're definitely connecting with a younger audience there through the Futures program. Do you have any initiatives or, or mandates to grow the game, to make it more diverse culturally, to make it more diverse and get more women on board by partnering perhaps with Women's Golf Day that happens every year in June? Not this year. It's going to be backed up a bit because of what's going on. But I'd like to hear your thoughts there because that is a massive business opportunity also to get more women to play and making golf more diverse and look more like America looks. You know, Colin, it's it's interesting as we've gotten more into this. And yes, we absolutely have adult programming as well. And it's critical. It's critical for juniors as well. One thing we found that is when you have a junior golfer who has a parent who plays golf, they are so much more likely to get engaged in the game long term. The statistics are, I I believe, 25% of kids who have a parent who plays golf end up being engaged long-term in the game. And if you don't have a parent, it's like one in 250 chance that you get engaged in the game. So yes, we absolutely have to engage parents to get juniors involved. And, you know, even outside of the, the family structure, over the last 10 years, we've had a lot of golfers who have hung up their clubs in their mind, either temporarily or semi-permanently. And that's a huge group of people, what are called lapsed golfers, that have played the game before and enjoyed it at some level. But for whatever reason, whether it's time or family commitments or an economic downturn that we've had, just became lapsed. So I, I do think that's a huge opportunity for golf. And again, areas where top golf may be a perfect launch point for somebody like that who may have played the game 10 years ago and hasn't been back and, and maybe get the bug again. But it's so important. It's so important to get, obviously, mom and dad involved, both 
hopefully it's anything like my family structure. Mom is way more important than dad in terms of uh, what the kids get involved into these days. But Colin, we definitely have the normal programs that you see, like the Get Golf Ready. We have that catered to women as well. Um, We have golfers with disabilities as well and accessible golf cart programs throughout the country as well. So until we get a better, uh, I guess, a more representative cross-section of the country playing golf, this is going to continue to be an opportunity. Until we get 50-50 men and women playing the game, there's always going to be that opportunity with getting more women engaged. And I think there's some encouraging statistics on that front, particularly with junior golf, where you see about a 60-40 split almost of boys to girls. So that gap is is definitely tightening, and that's a great sign for our future. It absolutely is. So as we finish up here, I, w- I wanted to ask you this. I did touch on the social sustainability of what you are doing there, but I wanted to ask you about the environmental sustainability side. You did mention earlier is within your business model, the value that you have for your margins is by centralizing uh, and automating a lot of the pieces, especially on the administrative side. I'm curious to hear your take. Is Billy Casper Golf a thought leader in making golf courses more environmentally friendly? Because that, of course, you could save hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not more, with golf courses as far as reducing your environmental footprint just through watering, pesticides, and maintenance of the actual course itself. So I'd like to hear your thoughts as we finish up here on the environmental sustainability side and how Billy Casper Golf approaches that. Absolutely. And And we've been committed to this from 31 years ago to now. Billy Casper Golf has a few programs that we're involved with. First off, the Audubon Cooperative Sanctuary Program is something that every single one of our facilities enrolls in and completes steps to do just that, to ensure environmental sustainability and chemical use, water use, habitats, etc. That's part of Billy Casper Golf if you're one of our facilities. We also have our own internal program called BCG Green, which involves some of the elements of Audubon, but even things like can we use LED light bulbs everywhere to cut down on our energy usage or sensors as well? Just little things that day to day may not seem like a big deal, but the more you do that, the more you cut into that environmental footprint and you save dollars in the long run, as you mentioned. So yeah, it's critical. I, I think golf in general, while some people may not fully understand how diligent our professionals are, and, and particularly our turf professionals. We care about the environment. And I would argue that golf course superintendents are, are some of the most environmentally conscious individuals that they are. They've chosen this career because they love nature and they love being out in it. And it is inspiring once you dig into what people are actually doing at the golf courses to see that we are making a difference and we are being responsible and doing things that are going to make golf sustainable for a very long time. That's great. And I have had the pleasure of sitting down and talking to a lot of golf course superintendents at National Golf Day two years ago, which the Golf Course Superintendents Association of America is one of the main sponsors. And yeah, just their approach as custodians of the environment is incredibly strong. It even surprised me that stronger than I thought it would be, but it makes complete sense, right? That is their office and that is what inspires them. So yeah, absolutely. Sounds like with Billy Casper Golf, you are uh, doing all the right things on the sustainability side, which is great to hear, Nick. Absolutely. 
So, hey, Nick, I want to wrap it up here. So thank you so much for sharing a very wide spectrum of conversation here today that all centered around all the good things that Billy Casper Golf is doing. But before we go, can you please let our listeners know how they can find out more about Billy Casper Golf and also about the Futures program? Well, absolutely. Yeah. Our website is billycaspergolf.com. You can visit that and understand a little bit more about where we are and what we're doing to help grow the game and preserve the interests of our owners and partners throughout the country. You can also go to wearegolf.org, which is an industry alliance that is aimed at promoting the interests of golf, but also has great information about some of the ways that you can get involved in golf, whether it's through PGA Junior League, Get Golf Ready, U.S. Kids Golf, the entire spectrum. They speak and promote for the entire industry as well. Great source of information as well. Yeah, absolutely. Anything that we can do to help promote the game and be stewards for the game, we are absolutely here for that. Sounds great. So as I always do in the show notes and also in the bio that I'll put together for you, Nick, I will include the links that you just talked about. I'll also have your social media handles in there too. So all of our listeners can easily find out more about all the good things that you're doing for the golf industry and for young people to introduce them to the great game that we love. So, hey, Nick Bednar, VP of Operations for Billy Casper Golf. Thanks so much for joining me today on the Mod Golf Podcast. I've really enjoyed this and enjoyed spending some time with you today. I have as well, Colin. Thank you for having me on. And for the audience, get out and play more golf. Thanks so much, Nick. All right. You take care. You too. Thank you. So that's a wrap for this episode of the Mod Golf Podcast. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Nick Bednar, VP of Operations with Billy Casper Golf. If you'd like to learn more, go to our episode show page where we've included additional links and content. I'd like to extend my gratitude and thanks to our sponsor partners, British Columbia Golf and Golf Genius Software, for help making the Mod Golf Podcast happen. Without their support, I wouldn't be able to bring you these engaging stories from the golf industry's brightest innovators and influencers. If you enjoyed this conversation about entrepreneurship in the golf industry, you can find more of our innovation stories on previous episodes at mod.golf, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you go for your podcast fix. I'm your host, Colin Weston. Thanks very much for joining me. Bye for now.